Father, I, I just give you all the glory for the beautiful truth that one day our faith will turn to sight and our prayer to praise. I look forward to that day, Father. I look forward to being in your presence, to be right there where Jesus can hold us, to receive all that you've promised for us, not because we're worthy, not because we've done anything good to deserve it, but because of your great love, you sent your son, in whom we believe. I pray, Father, as we look into your word tonight, as we study these chapters in 1 Samuel, that you would give us your grace, that you would speak to us through your spirit. Help us, Lord, to hear the things that you want us and need us to hear tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, we saw that poor old Samuel, he was getting old. He appointed his two sons to be judges over Israel, but not good kids, not at all. They were taking bribes and perverting justice. The people saw this and they told Samuel, you know what, we want a king. And Samuel was really bummed about it. So he took it to the Lord, and the Lord said, you know what? Do what they tell you. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. He says, but go back and tell them all the problems a king, are going to, a king is going to cause. So he goes back. He tells all the people, you know, if you get a king, they're going to take taxes. They're going to conscript your, your sons into military service and take your daughters, you know, the bakers and, 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 and the cooks and and all of these, they're going to take all, he's going to take the best of all of them. He's going to take the best of your crops. Are you sure you want a king? And he said, give us a king. So Samuel goes back to the Lord. And the Lord said, do what they ask. Give them a king. Samuel sends everybody home and says, fine. You want it? You got it. And tonight, we're going to see the man that God chose to allow the Israelites to have their disobedience. Chapter 9, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechrath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice in the handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Sha'alim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he 
can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to the servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was, and as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now. For today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So a lot in here. We're first introduced to Saul with a description of him and his family and his father, Kish, who was wealthy. Uh, and, of course, we're going to get into Saul here in just a moment. But if you remember, really, from this point, it was only a few chapters ago in the book of Judges. At the end of the book of Judges, the Benjamites, well, they had gone way wrong. That was when they, uh, well, you can go back. It's the last few chapters of Judges. Uh, this Levite stayed in this Benjamite town where the men essentially raped his wife to death. And so he cut her up into 12 pieces and centered all the tribes. All the tribes gathered and came against Benjamin. And they said, listen, just give us this one city and these evil men, and we'll leave the rest alone. And the rest of the Benjamites said, absolutely not. They're our brothers. You can't have them. So they went to war, wiped out the entire tribe of Benjamin, save 600 men. The rest of the tribe of Benjamin was gone. So they came up with this terrible plan, and you can go back and listen to the study or go back and read it, came up with this terrible plan to get them wives, which included kidnapping and whatnot. Right? I mean, they just, they just added insult to injury. And, but at the time, there were 600 Benjamites, and, and they had wives that they essentially had stolen. And that was, at this point, maybe only a couple generations earlier. Not, not that much. Less than 100 years, give or take. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but not a great amount of time had gone by. But Kish, this guy, well, he turned out okay. You know, his great-granddaddy and the wife that he stole from the vineyard uh, had some kids. Kish is now wealthy, and he has this son. And Saul was taller. He, uh, if he stood next to anybody... Their head came up to his shoulders. Right now, at that time, the average height for a man was about 5'4". So, you know, don't picture Saul as some guy who's 6'5". Probably wasn't. Probably was 5'8 or 5'9, give or take. But still, in comparison to all the people around him, he was taller than everybody else. And he was better looking. I love that comment in verse, uh, what is it, verse? I got to turn back. Sorry. I love that comment. It's in, there he goes, in verse 2. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. Now, if you notice the language there, 
right? The Bible isn't afraid of gender. It didn't say he was the most handsome among all the men of Israel. The way that's worded, Saul was better looking than everybody. Now, I ain't never met a man that was better looking than a woman. Just throwing that out. Not even you, John. Uh, (laughs) But is that what God looks at? Is that what God cares about? No. We're going to see that before we get done with 1 Samuel very specifically, but man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So they go out with his servant to try to find his father's donkey, donkeys, several of them had gotten out. And we get some insight that Saul was probably born into a pretty good family since he knew his father would be worried about him. We should keep in mind that Saul was not a young man, right? When David is anointed king, he's a teenager when we, when we get that far. David was probably 14, 15, 16 years old when Samuel anoints him as king. Saul was probably in his late 30s or early 40s. The reason we know that, and we'll we'll see this in a few chapters down the way, is when Saul gathers the military forces of Israel, he appoints his son as a, a general, essentially, over a portion of the troops. Well, that would have meant that his son was in his late, late teens or early 20s. Well, so for Saul to have a son who was in his late teens or early 20s, he couldn't have been, you know, in his late teens or early 20s. He would have been in his late 30s or early 40s. So something to keep in mind. But because his father was still alive, Saul would, of course, submitted to his father because that's just the way it worked in that society. Before they go back, they insist on seeing, uh, inquiring of the man of God. Um, And so they go up and they find out that the people were waiting for Samuel to bless the sacrifice. It's actually where we get the tradition of praying over a meal before we eat. Um, and of course, we see this confirmed in 1 Timothy 4, 4, that every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, we get to verse 15. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, The day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. Just listen to the compassion there. In the last chapter, the people rejected God. said, We want a king, we don't want God. That's essentially what they said. That's what God told Samuel. And now God's going to raise up a man because the cry of the people had come out to them because of the, uh, to him over the oppression of the Philistines. You know, if I was God, which, you know, you should all be really thankful I'm not. But if I was God and the people rejected me, I'd be like, fine, deal with the Philistines on your own. <laughs> you know, but that's not what he does. Even in their foolishness and their disobedience, he still loves them. And he still has a plan that he wants to work out for them. You know, there's a... My kids always get mad when I try to explain memes. But um, there's a meme floating about on the internet. And it says very simply, um, When the Lord called you, he factored in your stupidity. I am so grateful for that truth. 
so, so grateful. Verse uh, 17. So when Samuel saw Saul, say that three times fast. The Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? Because he would have had no idea what Saul looked like. And Samuel answered Saul and said, well, there you go, say that three times fast. I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. You shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you speak to me like this? I said last week that Saul, he started off well. And this is a great example of that. But we're going to go back up just a little bit. I love, love, love this scene we get playing out between God and Samuel and then Samuel and Saul. Samuel's getting ready to go do his job. He's just on his way to work, right? To bless the sacrifice and the meal before everybody starts eating. He steps out of the house. Saul's walking up, probably looking a little lost and confused. This wasn't a city he was familiar with. And Samuel sees him, and God whispers in his ear, Hey, Samuel, that guy right there. Remember yesterday I told you this guy from Benjamin was going to come up? to the city about this time that's him right there Samuel's like oh cool so he walks down he starts talking to Saul Saul's like who's the seer well that's me by the way you're going to stay with me and eat uh, the donkeys they're good don't worry about them they made their way home and all the hope of Israel is on you Saul's like I just wanted to know where my donkey was <laughs> you know I, I didn't come here to uh for any other reason, and he responds with, well, who am I? Benjamin is the, the smallest of the tribes, which even though Kish was doing pretty well, Benjamin had not bounced back to, to where they had, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people yet, most likely. And he goes, my family is the least among the least of the tribes. Why me? And I just love that Saul starts off with this great humility. And he says, so you're going to stay and you're going to eat with me and then we're going to pick up. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what you want to know tomorrow. I love that. A little bit of a cliffhanger, a little bit of suspense. I know you want to know something. I know you came to inquire of God. But we're going to have dinner first. Then we're going to sleep on it. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. If I was Saul, which I'm not, I would have gone nuts. I wouldn't have slept a wink that night. I would have been <laughs> like, uh, I just, I don't have any patience, which you all very well know. Verse 22. Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them into the hall, had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited, and there were about 30 persons. So now think about that. The place of honor had been reserved. That means Samuel believed God that this guy was coming, and he left this place open for whoever this guy would be. Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart, right? 
Not only is he set apart the seat of honor, he set apart the best cut of meat from the sacrifice to give to Saul. So the cook took up the thigh and the upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept from you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When he had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day, that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. So we're going to stop for just a second. Not only do we see how Samuel had prepared the portion, the seat of honor, a place for him to stay on top of the house. Remember the houses in Israel were flat. They had flat roofs. Uh, they do such a great job of portraying that in The Chosen uh, because the roof of your house was another living space because when it was hot, you'd go sleep up there. You would dry fruit up there. You would dry clothes up there, right? It, it was another living space. It wasn't like, you know, how we treat the roof. Well, it's up there. Hopefully it doesn't leak, you know? Uh, very, very different. So he had prepared this place for Saul. And, and all of this took place. And what it made me think of is Romans 8.28. The fact that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, these things are often worked out as God is working behind the scenes, right? When, when it's our calling and, and we want direction and guidance from God, what do we want? Well, we want, we want the angels to show up in the heaven, glowing, singing a song, right? We want to fall then into this, this state of, of spiritual trance as the Lord lifts us up and gives us a vision of, of the future and the direction that we need to go. I don't know about you. That's not usually how it happens for me. Um, you guys all know the story of how I got here. You were all involved in it. We drove here, through here the summer before. And I looked at my wife and I said, wouldn't it be cool if God called us to a place like this? We didn't even stop. Didn't even get gas. Drove right through Gunnison, over the hill, stopped in Salida and got coffee. Didn't think anything about it. Six months later, Lord puts it on my heart. And I'm flipping through the job board. Ah, there's a little church in Gunnison that's looking for a pastor. Boy, wouldn't that be a hoot? And I sent you all a resume. That was over two and a half years ago. That summer that we drove through was over three years ago. No angels singing. No bright lights. No trances. No floating over the city of Gunnison. I mean, don't get me wrong, that'd be cool. But he often guides us through what seem like very natural means. You know, maybe, maybe something we see as an inconvenience or a problem, but God is allowing it because he wants to use it to lead us. Or maybe he simply nudges us in a direction or he gives us, you know, a feeling or a thought that we should act or he orchestrates circumstances like he does here with Saul. Right? God was at work the whole time. Samuel, this guy's coming. Set apart some meat. Set apart a spot. Make sure he's got a place to sleep. Saul shows up. Samuel, that's the guy. 
Do you think the donkeys went missing on accident? You know, God went down, he opened the gate, chewed the donkeys out, because then he knew that Kish would send Saul looking for the donkeys, right? The servant that was picked, do you think that was an accident? God picked that servant, or Saul picked that servant, because that's the servant that God knew would tell Saul, hey, we should go talk to the seer. Right? All of it, step by step by step. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I, over the many moons that I've done this, I've had a lot of people say, well, I just, I just wish God would be, I just wish God was at work. I just wish, you know, that something was happening. I just, oh, I just, I, I pray and I seek the Lord and I just, if I could just see it or if I could just get a sign or if there could... When we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and don't lean on our own understanding and all our ways we acknowledge him, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us that he will direct our path. Philippians 1, 6. We are confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. I'll tell you this. It might not look like it. It might not feel like it. You might be frustrated, you might be impatient, but God's at work. God is always at work. Amen. We were talking about this earlier today in our elders meeting, that you know, God is at work in our church in such a cool way. We see him blessing us with provision, we see him blessing us with with you know new faces, visitors, and, and folks who have stayed and called New Song home. We see him blessing the online ministry as literally hundreds of people every month are listening to our sermons and messages and services and whatnot all around the world. We see him healing people of, of past hurts and, and working in people's lives and calling people to new ministries and we see all of this happening and you know what the world around us is dark we know that the world around us is dark but God but God my two favorite words he's using us to push back the darkness he's using us as a church now, I, I don't, it's not me. Don't, don't none of y'all look at me and say, well, it's a good thing we called him here. Now look at all. No, 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 no. I don't, it's not me. And um, just in case you're wondering, it ain't you either. <laughs> it's God. It's all him. It's all what he's doing. And he's doing wonderful. So what do we do? Well, we should be good stewards over what he's called us to. We should glorify him. We should praise him. We should continue to act and move as he guides and leads and just give him all the glory because it's, it's such a sweet thing to be part of. And I can only imagine how much better it's going to get. But all that time, 
you know, the history, the difficulties, the time without a pastor at all, all, all of that. Well, that was just Saul looking for his donkeys. That was just Saul looking for his donkeys. That was just God moving in such a way as to, as to just bring everything about just right. In his time, in his way, and, and now we get to enjoy his work in us and through us. And that's, that's just so cool. I'm pretty sure we're not going to get to through chapter 11, but that's all right. We will start into chapter 10. Because chapter 10 kind of goes along this vein. Uh, chapter 10 really starts in chapter 9, verse 27. But as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Wow, how many alliterations with the letter S are we going to get tonight? As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Now, we're, we're, we're going to go on. That must have just been a thrilling moment for Saul. Just a, you didn't have a Bible back then, right? We, we can hear a word from the Lord anytime we want just by opening the Bible. We can hear God's voice if we're listening, right? We have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Not, they didn't have that back then. Now, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain seasons and times or certain tasks, but it was not a permanent situation like it is with us. And all of a sudden, Samuel, the prophet, right? Up to this, at this time, weren't really any of the prophets that we're hearing about. He says, I want you to stand, send the servant up and stand right here. I'm going to announce to you the word of God. I can only imagine, Saul must have been, I mean, either terrified, because, you know, back then the word from God wasn't always good, <laughs> or good for the hearer at least. You know, so it could have been, yeah, you know what, your dad's a sinner, you're a sinner, God's going to wipe out your whole, what, 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 what? what? Or it just could have been absolutely thrilling. Wow, whoa. There's a word of God for me? Well, there's a word of God for all of us. We just have to listen. Chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Done. That's how he anointed him as king. So, now I do appreciate that he poured the oil over his head before he said anything. <laughs> I don't know why I find that humorous. I'm going to announce to you the word of God. Now stand there a second. Blah, blah, blah. What? Um, um. Then he gives him a kiss. Whoa, dude. What up? Oh, by the way, God made you king. I would have loved to see the look on Saul's face. I, I think it would have been one of, uh, of astonishment and surprise and, and, and fear and anxiety. Who knows? Verse 2. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. 
And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, because what else do you carry when you're on your way to Bethel? Another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds like that was unevenly distributed. One guy's got to carry three goats while the other guy's carrying bread and the other guy's got the, got the alcohol. I'm, I'm just saying, the guy with the goats got the, the raw end of that stick. He said, they will greet you, verse 4, and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and, when, and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So this, this is just so cool to me because this is so immensely specific. Right? He could have said, you're going to be on your way home. You're going to meet some prophets. You're going to meet some guys to tell you the donkeys are okay. That this is a sign to you. But no, he tells them exactly what they're going to say. He tells them exactly what these people are going to be carrying and what they're going to give him. He tells them the exact instruments that the prophets are going to be carrying around with them. Now, if you're Samuel, you're really trusting that you've heard exactly what God told you to say to pass this on. Because if any of that doesn't come to pass, Saul can be like, well, it didn't happen like the prophet said it would, so maybe it wasn't the sign after all. We're going to find out that it does, but I need to make two quick comments. One, it mentions Rachel's tomb. We know in Genesis 35 that Rachel was buried somewhere near Bethlehem. And we also know that Bethlehem is not in Benjamin. Bethlehem was in the tribe of Judah. So there are some people who like to say that this is a contradiction. See, there's a contradiction in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 10 says Rachel's tomb is in the in the, in the territory that belonged to Benjamin. And we know from Genesis 35 that Rachel's tomb was in Bethlehem. Contradiction. That's not a... That's just a, you know, we'll ignore all of Scripture. I saw this uh, thing, this guy on TV, who was trying to convince people that the Bible wasn't correct by saying that in... Uh, it, was, it was in Kings and Chronicles, they talked about the name of a king, and the name of the king was different in this chapter in Kings and in that chapter in Chronicles. I looked it up. I was curious. It wasn't different. This guy was outright lying trying to get people to deny the authenticity and authority of Scripture. So there's people who use stuff like this. So is there a contradiction? Of course not. Please note the word Zelza. That's what draws all this together. The word Zelza comes from Joshua chapter 18. 
And if you refer back to a map of the tribal inheritance in the land, Benjamin and Judah bordered one another. The area of Zelza, where they were, which was supposedly by Rachel's tomb here in 1 Samuel, was on the border. The area of Zelza included 14 cities. One of those cities was Jerusalem. You want to guess what one of the other cities was? Bethlehem. It was only five miles away from Jerusalem. So the area of Zelza encompassed part of the southern part of the tribe of Judah and the northern part of the tribe of Benjamin. So they could have been by Rachel's tomb. And because they didn't have, you know, hard and fast uh, GPS-inspired grid lines drawn to outline their borders, they could have very easily been in Benjamin and been by Rachel's tomb, just like they could have very easily been in Judah and been by Rachel's tomb. There's absolutely no contradiction here. So he gives them all these signs and sends them on their way. And I want to make a quick comment about the prophets singing songs, because I found this fascinating as I studied. They didn't have, back in this day and age, uh, schools. You didn't go to elementary school. You, you didn't learn your ABCs and one, two, threes and your colors and your shapes. If you learned anything, it was typically taught to you by your family. You know, and back then, what you probably learned was whatever the family trade was. If your dad was a farmer, you learned how to farm. If your dad was a shepherd, you learned how to tend the flocks or the herds. If your, your dad was a blacksmith, you probably became a blacksmith, so on and so forth. So how did people learn? How did people know what the Bible said? How did people go to church? They didn't have church. They didn't have synagogue yet. They didn't. The temple was, the tabernacle was far away for most of them. And we already know that the state of the nation, that they were not following their, their religious commands to go up three times a year to the tabernacle to hear the word of God read by the priests and whatnot. At this point in time, they didn't even have a high priest. Eli died. Right? And we have not, no indication at this point that a new high priest had been appointed. So what they did was certain young men would go to school, a type of school where they would learn from the prophets before them. It was more like an um, apprenticeship than it was a school. And then what they would learn were songs. And what were those songs? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Okay, probably wasn't that one in particular, but that's how they would convey the truth of God's word. So these prophets weren't necessarily, uh, as they were prophesying and singing, weren't necessarily being predictive, but were more likely being, uh, what's a fancy word, didactive. They were teaching. They were teaching the word of God. They were proclaiming the word of God. They were teaching songs about creation or teaching songs about Joseph or Jacob, or the, the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt by the, the plagues through the hand of Moses, or, or, you know, Joshua bringing them into the land and the walls of Jericho falling down. They would have been singing songs about these things to teach the people, and that's why they traveled. So they would go to this town, and they would sing them some songs. And the people, it would be like going to church and, and worshiping and, and learning from the word of God, and then the people would move on. Now, you have to imagine this wasn't something you got to do once a week it was something you know these prophets might make it to your town once a year or, or something of that sort but that's what they were doing verse 9 
So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, listen to this, that God gave him another heart. I love that statement. Sorry, I lost my place. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? Uh, it was kind of a proverb that meant, Really? Right, it's something of a surprise. And when he had finished prophesying, he went up to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where'd you guys go? So he said to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel told you or said to you. Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had be found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. I find that quite fascinating. So he gets another heart as he walks away. A change of heart is what it says. Because what I imagine is that he was like, uh-uh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go there. I don't, want, I don't want any part of what you're saying. Wash this oil out of my hair. I, I don't want to do this. And he gave him all these signs. And as he turned to go away, God said, ah, come on. This is what I've called you to do. And you're going to do it. And so he gave Saul a change of heart. And then he came and he saw all of these signs. They came true exactly as Samuel said they would. Then he gets to the prophets. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins prophesying to the point that all the people are like, hey, what's up with the son of Kish? Yeah, he's not, he's not one of the prophets. Right? And, and again, we don't know that Saul was, was giving predictive prophecy. Perhaps he was, because we're not given what he prophesied. But perhaps he had just started in along with the prophets singing the songs that they were singing, which he wouldn't have known. Or something to that effect. We don't know. God can do anything. He gets to his uncle, and his uncle's like, hey, where'd you guys go? Well, we were looking for the donkeys. Samuel told us they were fine, so we came home. Oh, you talked to Samuel. What did he say? Just that the donkeys were okay. Why do you ask? <laughs> you know, he doesn't mention a word of it. Now, I don't know why. I'm saying. I meet a, you know, I walk out into the parking lot one day. There's a guy in a robe with a long white beard. And I'm going to think he's Gandalf, but he probably isn't. Gandalf is from Lord of the Rings. And, um. He says, I'm, I'm a prophet of God, which me being the man I am, I'd probably go in and get my Bible and go, all right, I'm ready. What do you got? God's called you to be king of the world. Or how about just king of Gunnison? What? While you're driving home, three geese are going to walk in front of you on Highway 50. Huh? When you get to McDonald's, there's going to be two guys out there with an extra order of fries. They're going to stop you and give you one of those orders of fries. When you get home to your mailbox, there's going to be a check for $1,000. And I would look at that guy and say, you are nuts. Absolutely not. And I'm going to get in the car, and then God's going to go, really? I send you a prophet, and you're not going to listen? 
But, but Lord, come, you know, French fries and, and geese and, and really? And the Lord probably would whisper, just try it. And I'd be driving home and I'd pull out and running away from the construction zone would be three little geese and the guys would give me the fries and I'd get home with a $1,000 check. I think at that point I would stop and go, I think I'm going to be king. All <laughs> right? All of this happened exactly. I'm thinking Samuel's right at this point. Saul doesn't say anything. I'm not sure why. And it actually gets a little worse in the last 10 verses of this chapter. You ready? Verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who opposed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations, and you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Now I'm thinking, if this is the word that God is speaking, that one of the people would have said, You know, I think we made a mistake. Maybe we don't need a king after all. But nobody says anything. When Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by the families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, they could, he could not be found. Now, how were they chosen? Right? We, we talked about this before when they were choosing among the tribes for the various duties, right, among the Levites and the families. And when... when um, Oh, what was that guy's name? Achan stole from, from Jericho when he wasn't supposed to. All the tribes came. His tribe was picked. All the families came. His family was picked, right? But what they would do typically is they would either use the Urim and the Thummim. Since there was no high priest, it's unlikely that they were using that. Or they would have used something to the effect like either casting lots or drawing straws. Essentially, they probably didn't have straws, but you know what I mean. Drawing reeds or sticks or hay or whatnot, but you know, you'd have the short stick and this family would come by, you pulled it, you didn't get the short stick. Bring the next family by, you didn't get the short stick. Didn't, didn't, didn't. All of a sudden the Benjamins come by. Short stick, tribe of Benjamin. Right? And all that time they were trusting that the Lord was guiding this process. Now, Samuel already knew, but he needed the people to see. Well, when it comes to it, but when they sought him, right, when they saw when they picked Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. When they sought him, they couldn't find him. So they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. Now, back then, um, you ever seen like the, old, the olden days, they would circle the wagons, right, in order to protect themselves when they stopped for the night? That's most likely what was going on here. Right? People came, they had carts, they had animals, they had food, they had whatever they brought with them. And they probably circled the area with that stuff. Just in case, you know, they were at Mizpah, which was close to the Philistines, uh, which we'll find out in chapter 11, because um, we're not going to get that far. Did we find that out in chapter 11? No, that's something different. Anyways, they, trust me, they were close to the Philistines. <laughs> and so they probably circled the wagons, and Saul was just like, yeah, I'm going to stand outside the circle. 
So they ran and brought him, verse 23, from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any other people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? And there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So a few things here that I think is, is good for us to take a, a good look at. So here's the question. Was Saul being humble? Or was he hiding from the call of God on his life? First time when he met Samuel, I'm sure he was being humble. When he comes home and he talks to his uncle, uh, maybe he was being humble. Maybe he didn't quite believe it yet. Maybe he was nervous about sharing it with his family. Right? Maybe he knew about Joseph. Joseph shared with his family about the call of God on his life. That didn't go well. <laughs> you know? So, a little bit. But here, Samuel says, we're going to Mizpah. You're going to wait for me there. We're going to make sacrifices, and I'm going to declare you king to the nation. They get there, all this happens, and Saul is hiding. Hey, where's Saul? He doesn't raise his hand. He doesn't speak up. He's just... So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was humility. But I honestly think it was a little more fear of following the call of God on his life. Now, don't get me wrong. The call of God on Saul's life to become king over a nation that had never had a king before, that's a pretty tall order. I think I'd be a little freaked out about it too. But we should never run from the call of God on our lives. So Samuel explains the behavior of a king, probably a review of what we talked about last time, the rules given from the book of Deuteronomy and then everything Samuel said would happen concerning taxes and conscripting people into the military and so on and so forth. And he sends everybody home. Saul is now king. Now, there are some people who didn't like it and they refused to honor him as king. Uh, when we get to chapter 11, uh, we're going we're gonna to get another blurb about them and we're going to continue to see that Saul did begin well. You know, he started off pretty good. Next week when we get into chapter 11, oh, he's going to be doing pretty good in chapter 11 too. It ain't going to last. Soon 12, 13, it starts to go downhill pretty quick. But that's next week. I thought we might get there tonight, but we're not. One thing I want to talk about, and this is what we'll close with. Some of the men, their hearts were touched by God and they followed Saul home. Right? So some God touched their hearts and said, that's the king. You serve him now. And these guys responded like that. Right? They had left their homes. They came to Mizpah because Samuel called them all out. They probably had a few clothes, maybe something to eat. And now all of a sudden they're not going home. They're not going home. They're not going back to tell mom and dad, hey, I got a job working for the new king. It's pretty awesome, you know, all right. They didn't do that. They didn't go home and, and, and quit their job or nothing. They just, God put it on their hearts to follow Saul, and they followed. In the early church, 
Jesus touched the hearts of a small number of people. Right? You had the original 12. You know, Judas was kind of a scumbag, but then he was replaced with either Matthias or, or Paul, depending on how you want to argue. And then you got a few others, you know, Stephen and Philip, and you had people getting saved. But a relatively small number of people, when they were waiting in the upper room after Jesus' ascension, right, 40 days he appeared to them, and then he said, go wait in the upper room till the Holy Spirit falls upon you. It took 10 more days. But they were waiting in the upper room praying. There was only 120 people. They turned the entire world upside down. Touching the heart of billions of people. Their ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit, let's not, wasn't just because they were great folks, but their ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being obedient to the command that Jesus gave them to go into all the world, eventually, results in us sitting here 2,000 years later believers in Jesus Christ wouldn't happen if they had denied the call of God on their lives if these men had denied the call of God on their lives to follow Saul I know I already said it but when God calls we go it's that simple now it might be going across the street it might be going across town it might be going across country might be going across an ocean. But we go. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I know everybody else does too, but <laughs> I love you. And I'm so grateful that you love us. And I pray, Father, as we embark this evening, I hear the rain falling outside, and I'm so grateful for the work that you've done in us and are doing and I, I pray will continue to do. I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to go. I'm not saying I want anybody to leave the church, but if you're calling, then we should go. But Lord, we, we are in the mission field with thousands of people around us who need to know you. And as you command us, Lord, you've told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I pray that you would. There is a beautiful harvest here that you want to gather in for yourself. And I pray that you would use us to be part of that. I pray that we would turn this city upside down for you. By your power, according to your truth. In Jesus' name.